You know, it doesn't happen every day that JFK gets shot to death, and the Beach Boys can go right, go, uh, go right, uh, uh, north of the sun. <laughs> Welcome back. This is Wyatt in Nashville. You're listening to Sail On. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Brewer. Hey, everybody. Glad to, glad to be back. Yeah, we're back with another episode. This is episode 12. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you guys are just now joining us, you may not know that we are part of a tribute group also called Sail On. And uh, we've been playing some gigs and getting to meet some podcast listeners. So I wanted to quickly mention that we had a few gigs last week in Florida. Went down and played in Milton, which is just outside of Pensacola. Then we played down in Naples. And then we also played a show in Tampa. And uh, we had some some listeners of the podcast, some friends and some um, distinguished guests come out to that show um i want to say thanks to daniel rebecca and andrew for coming out and hanging out and talking beach boys with us it was super fun and i wish we could have hung out longer but we had to get on the road i also wanted to mention a special thanks to uh mike connor for bringing out steve desper to the show as well it was awesome to get to meet him for those of you that don't know he is a audio engineer who worked on some of the greatest sounding Beach Boys records in our opinion and uh, it was really really awesome to meet him and kind of pick his brain a little bit and also just kind of you know perform for him and and watch him enjoy himself so it was really cool and and, kind of nerve wracking but he was such a nice sweet dude that um, it was really really fun and uh, he he brought us a, a little signed postcard from like the late 60s little promo postcard from the beach boys which is really really awesome probably stick that in the van somewhere and uh and yeah anything you want to add about that jason it was incredible to get to meet steve and um i mean his work is hugely inspiring to me as a you know guy who's just obsessed with audio and has recorded stuff too so that was a big honor and then also um you know our, one of our good buddies Daniel gave me a cool Dennis Wilson t-shirt that I, oh, yeah. that I haven't taken off since he gave it to me so I've been wearing it every day <laughs> um, I hope you take it off before we go back on the road this weekend only only if you ask nicely alright well um, speaking of that we do have a couple shows coming up where are we going Jason okay we are going to DeKalb Illinois which isn't too far from Chicago, from what I understand. And we're playing at the Egyptian Theater. That's this Friday, uh, which would be March 9th. And then March 10th, we're playing in Fairfield, Iowa, at the Fairfield um, Arts Center, otherwise known as the Sondheim Arts Center. And that's the March 10th. And then March 11th, we're playing in Corning, Iowa, at the Corning Opera House. So if you're anywhere near those places... 
come see us, tell us how much you love the Beach Boys and what your favorite record is and that you've been listening to the podcast. It'd be great to meet you. And then the following week, we're going to go up north for a couple of dates. We're going to play at the Parrot Delaney Tavern, which is a cool, interesting listening room in uh, New Hartford, Connecticut. And then the next day, we're playing at the Kate Performing Arts Center in Old Saybrook, Connecticut. So we're going to be in Connecticut for a couple days. And if you're up north, up there, come visit us, come see us, come hang out, come tell us your favorite track off Holland. It'll be great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's been really cool to get to travel around with the band and meet some fans of the Beach Boys and also some listeners of our podcast. Um, Really appreciate you guys coming out and saying hello So let's get into some of our feedback. So we've got some emails this week that I've been trying to get through. Man, we've had so many people email, and I love it, but it's been so hard to get to all of them on the air. So we're going to read a couple of them this week um, that we got a couple months ago and try and get caught up a little bit. The first one comes from Mark Head. He says, hey guys, I'm loving the show at all levels. It's great to hear such a professionally put together show covering all the details of the Beach Boys. I'm 57 and really became a fan in the early 70s when I heard Sail on Sailor on FM Rock Radio. Awesome. Believe it or not, it got some play back in the day. From there, it was Pet Sounds, Endless Summer, and Spirit of America. In those days, it was very difficult to find the later Capitol albums from Friends through 2020 as Capitol ceased pressing them. Warner did release a couple of album twofers, but these were hard to find at the time. With persistence, I completed my album collection and kept adding from 15 big ones on. I'm a major Love You fan, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we are too. I finally crossed over into that total Brianista land with the book release, The Beach Boys and the California Myth by David Leaf. With the extensive details of Smile and its demise, I was hooked for life. Ultimately... Through fan club connections, I got into tape trading circles in the late 70s, hearing the first tidbits of Smile. That's rad. So rad. Man, we always mention, I'll just take it aside here, but we always mention how cool it is to hear from fans that were like pre-internet and were in all these, you know, um, fan club circles and uh, tape trading circles, as it were. It's so cool to hear about that. What a different era and how spoiled we are. Um. Fortunately, I've seen the band in all its incarnations since the mid-70s. Nothing compares to Dennis Wilson slamming the drums in a big stadium rock show. Most recently got to sit in the box next to Tony Asher at Brian's 50th anniversary Pet Sounds concert at the Hollywood Bowl. It's been a 45-year ride so far for me, and it's gratifying to hear younger musicians express genuine enthusiasm for the music I know and cherish so well. In my high school and college years, I was more or less a closet fan, and the cool factor and appreciation was lacking on so many levels. The Surfer Girl episode was awesome, the best so far. I'm looking forward to more, and please don't hold back on details. As a part-time semi-retired musician, full-time physician, I'm into all the details. Recording techniques, instruments played, at all. You can't be too nerdy for me. Well, I don't know about that, Mark. We may... We may get too nerdy for even you, so don't tempt us. By the time we get to MIU, you're going to be... Oh, good Lord. You're going to be right down the crazy town with us. So he finishes by saying, I see that you will be playing Louisville, Kentucky in August, so I will be sure to make the show. 
It would be great to share an adult beverage or a bite if you have the chance. Always ready to shoot the breeze on BB and other music-related topics. Keep it up. Best regards. Mark Head in Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. Mark, what a great, great email. As Wyatt said just a minute ago, it is really cool to hear about how you know, different people discovered music in different ways, especially the pre-internet stuff. I caught a few of those types of things when I was really young, you know, I had some Beatles and a Beach Boys bootleg here and there I'd see on cassette or CD or, you know, even an old record sometimes at the record store, but they were always too expensive. So, um, it's pretty awesome to hear about that. The tape trading circles, you know, I had, I have some older friends that were way into that. So that's really fantastic. Thank you so much for the great email and really looking forward to connecting when we're in Louisville. So please stay in touch so we can hang out at the show. Yeah. Let us know um, if you're going to be there for sure. When we approach that date, we'd love to hang out, grab a drink, um, get nerdy, see how nerdy we can get. Let's just put it that way. Watch out. But yeah, so that we're trying to make this podcast as all-inclusive as possible just so that we don't scare off some of the newer fans. But you know what? I think like one of our um, callers said last week, um, there's really no end to it. You know, once we get through all the albums, then that's when we can really start diving into the deep stuff and going down the dark rabbit holes of who played what and all the Beach Boys conspiracies and all that interesting stuff. And you'll probably want to get into that stuff what um, what type of vitamins they had at the radiant radish yeah exactly all right so moving on we have another email this one's from nick holland great last name nick i've gone through my life so far using the beach boys as a measuring stick of how much i trust people in general it's a good yardstick as i've met a lot of horrible people and none of them were beach boys fans (laughs) (laughs) that's great um As an aside, I met somebody one time. I, I kind of feel the same way, but an, another way that you can tell is if they are Beatles fans, um, because you really have to be messed up in the head to not like the Beatles. I mean, at least in some form or another. If you hate the Beatles, you've just got some issues that you need to work out. Um, and I agree, you know, if you don't like the Beach Boys, then it's going to be hard for us to be friends. But anyway, <clears throat> moving on. Nick says, so fantastic work on the podcast. For years, I've had frequent searches to see if anyone was doing any Beach Boys podcasts. The Beatles were well represented, but all I ever saw were either channels with no actual content or very low-level episodes, which told you less than you would have gotten from just putting on an album. As such, it was with great hope that I subscribed to your podcast, and I've not been disappointed. I thought that I'd most likely never hear anyone else talk about Chugalug or South Bay Surfer. Yes. I thought I was the only person who listened to them anymore. It's great to hear this stuff matters to other people out there because it should matter to other people out there. If you don't like the Beach Boys, then can you love anything? It was 20 Golden Greats that got me into the Beach Boys back in the 80s, so I never looked down on people who buy the best of CDs or downloads. The 80s was truly a terrible time to be a Beach Boys fan. The <laughs> spiritual surfing heart of the band had died around five years before, and it seemed that Brian wasn't really interested in the band, or the band weren't really interested in Eugene. For a teenager just getting into the music, they looked nothing like the old photos i seen. Where was all the sun-bleached hair? Why didn't they drive around in a woody? Why had Dave Marks grown shorter and now looked a bit like a goblin? Oh, that was Al. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And more worryingly... Where was Mike Love's hair? Man, Nick's throwing some shade right now. 
Um, maybe it rubbed off on the inside of 20 years of baseball caps. Now they were old men wearing suit jackets, sometime with big shoulder pads and beards. Yes. <laughs> shoulder pads. <laughs> they were gray and gravelly. The guy with the falsetto was gone, and Bruce always wore shorts. There we and they go. seemed to be doing nothing. Oh, God. I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard about this. Um, then Still Cruising was released, and I wish that they were doing nothing. <laughs> Musically, some would say they were. It gets worse, buddy. <laughs> Admitting to being a fan of the Beach Boys was not a great place to be, but not liking them was a worse place to be. As time went on, I worked through all the albums and found that, for me, in most cases, even the worst of the Beach Boys was better than the best of some bands. There was very little that wasn't worthwhile. No matter how long it went between hearing a track, it was like seeing an old familiar friend, and it was always a place to escape to. I'm not sure that with the exception of maybe one or two, there are many tracks that I would ever skip on a playlist. They all deliver something, whether it's a bass line, a backing vocal, an odd bit of per- percussion. They will always deliver. Mm, yeah. Pre-internet fandom was an uphill struggle. Here we go again. Import CDs weren't common, and it was only until the twofer CDs came out that a lot of the albums were easy to get. The American Band video was pretty much the only place you could see their 60s and 70s stuff on the TV whenever you wanted, and I wore that video out. There were a few, there were a few books, but real information was almost impossible. Not like nowadays when you can flick through the Keith Badham's book and know the dates for all the recording sessions. Spoiled for choice in 2018. Keep up the great work, guys. I look forward to hearing more. And once you've done the albums, there is a lot more to discuss. Do some shows in the UK one day. Cheers, Nick. So I wrote Nick back and just said thanks. And I I, uh, I asked him if we could read this email on the show. And his response was, was great. He says, two of the rules I go by in life demand a response to your question. Number one, never refuse a fair request from a Beach Boys fan. Number two, never turn down someone with a surname more interesting than your own. <laughs> well, thanks, Nick. That's awesome to hear. Um, great email. We've touched on all these topics, and I'm really excited to um, have listeners in the UK. That's so awesome. Thanks for the humor, because I needed that. Yeah, really, really great email. Um, and I, you know, just feel your pain with the uh, the shorts era and David Mark's suddenly changing into al quite interesting yeah we look back on that now and laugh about it but i can't imagine being like an active beach boys fan in the mid to late 80s and having to suffer through that so another email we'll read this week and then we'll get into uh some beach boys talk um this one is from mark roberts Hey guys, this is Mark in Covington, Louisiana, just north of New Orleans. I am really digging the podcast, and I truly appreciate the time, care, and effort you put into analyzing the songs and providing your thoughts and opinions. I am starting with the individual album episodes first. I feel like I'm nerding out with you guys virtually, having a conversation together, and talking about our favorite band. Great vibe and format. I love how you intersperse the band's timeline and what was going on with the boys during each album's creation. This provides an excellent historical perspective and insight into the making of the records. I love how you play a snippet of each song as you go along, and I love how you rate the songs in order. If I were ever to do a podcast about the Beach Boys, it would be exactly like this. Wonderful job and such a treat for fellow Beach Boys obsessives like myself. I'm also a big fan of the Explorers Club and must congratulate you on your incredible albums. They are fantastic. Thank you for sharing your talents with us. 
I am looking forward to future podcasts and hope to see you all in concert in the near future, whether it be with Sail On or the Explorers Club. Thanks again for bringing joy into my life through your music and your knowledge of this amazing band. Sincerely, Mark Roberts. Thank you, Mark, so much for the email. Um, I mean, I think the format that we're doing the podcast is really awesome. And when Wyatt kind of came up with the idea of how we were going to do this and put it into motion, I was like, yeah, this is, this is the Beach Boys podcast that I'd want to listen to. And I know Wyatt feels the same way. So really glad that it's connecting with you guys. Thank you for the nice words about Explorers Club. And uh, we do hope to connect with you real soon out there on the road when we're playing out that way. So thanks again, Mark. Great email. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks to everybody for writing. We will listen to some voicemails on our next episode, and we will slowly get through all of these emails, I promise. Um, So keep writing in, and we will get to you at some point. That brings us to this week and our episode. We left off last time talking about Phil Spector, and we were in the fall of 1963 as the Beach Boys released their Little Deuce Coop album, and they're playing a lot of shows around the Southern California area and dipping into Utah, playing places like Salt Lake City, which will come back up later. In October of 1963, there were some sessions that Brian produced that were not Beach Boys sessions. He did one on October 18th that was a song called Bobby Left Me, which was intended for Sharon Marie. If you guys remember, Sharon Marie was a girlfriend of Mike Love's and Brian wrote some songs for her and produced some songs and she put out a couple singles. Um, This track was never finished, it's just the backing track, but it's a really cool track and you can hear the huge influence of Phil Spector right away here on this song for sure. And um, I had not heard this until that big beat compilation came out a few years ago and I really dig it. Um, On the same day, they actually did a session for the song that would become Drive-In, but it was originally planning on being Little St. Nick. Yeah. And um, the first version of Little St. Nick, and I'm glad that they kind of rewrote it and uh, this song became Drive-In because they're both really good songs, and I think Little St. Nick is just a great, great song, one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. So, um, but this one's cool. It's um, it's slightly different because it has like sleigh bells on it, um, obviously, and the lyrics are different. But um, I dig it, and it came out on that Ultimate Christmas album a while back when they put that on CD. Yep. And I was really surprised by it. I had no idea it existed. So super cool. Into November of 63, um, they did the I Do backing track, which we've talked about a bunch. It's a great song that is a huge Phil Spector style influence. Love it. Um, Maybe the biggest that Brian ever did. It's just a huge track. Great sounds, great horns. Um, The Beach Boys did a version, and also the, the Castells did a version. Go back to our Roger Christian episode and our Phil Spector episode and nerd out about that track. Uh, 
on November 20th, they came in to record the second version and final version of Little St. Nick, along with The Lord's Prayer, to be released as a single. And this is the version that we all know and love. So good. Well, way up north where the air gets cold, there's a tale about Christmas that you've all been told. And a real famous cat all dressed up in red. And he spends the whole year working out in his sled. It's the little Saint was released on December 9th and um, it charted on the seasonal weekly Christmas chart at number three. That's news to me. I didn't know that they had separate charts for holiday releases. I think they did that so they could accurately track the music that was played year round and you know this stuff was only played at that time of year so it I kind of makes sense to me logically. They probably The record companies probably demanded that so that's cool. Um, so on December 13th, Brian was back in the studio producing a session for Sharon Marie again. These two songs were called The Story of My Life and also Thinking About You Baby. Oh, yeah. So, um, for those of you that don't know, Thinking About You Baby would later become the song Darlin' and also would be done by Spring, the band Spring, which was Brian's project with... Marilyn and Diane Rovell in the early 70s, um, which we'll get to soon as well. But uh, super cool tracks, both of these, um, especially thinking about you, baby. I really, really love it. Love this track. Love the Phil Spector vibes. Brian was just like all about Phil Spector at this point, as you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was just doing everything he could to match that sound, using his players and using the same rooms as him and everything. I mean, he was definitely kind of finding his voice through that huge influence, which we've talked about on the last episode. Yeah, absolutely. And um, these early, you know, Phil Spector style productions that Brian did were so much more just Phil Spector ripoffs almost. Um, but as you slowly go through and get into um, some of these singles in the early 1964, you can really see Brian kind of developing his own style and kind of starting to go beyond what Spectre was doing in a lot of ways. So in, in January of 1964, they started recording the album Shut Down Volume 2. So it was recorded over eight days, January 1st through 8th. It was basically a, <laughs> a strange situation because it was a sequel to an album that was a compilation on Capitol that Gary Usher put together with two Beach Boys songs on it and a bunch of other Gary Usher projects. But... Um, it was kind of another car concept record, a little bit looser this time, but um, nonetheless, when I was younger, it confused me that there was a shutdown volume two, and I didn't couldn't find a shutdown volume one, <laughs> so it was really yeah. bizarre. Um, but Little Deuce Coop kind of is the shutdown volume one for the Beach Boys, if you want to look at it that way. Oh yeah. But um, <clears throat> this album came out in March of 1964, and it came out right in the midst of Beatlemania. So it did not enter the charts for six weeks. Mm. It's pretty crazy, man. They had a major setback there because of the Beatles. It did reach number 13. It just took a while. 
and it was on the charts for a good amount of time too so yeah it hung around for a long time the beatles man they just came in and just took over and just everybody was just trying to catch up with them at that point yeah i mean the the, um, the beatles the stones the animals you know yep peter and gordon all those and, groups and we'll get more into that soon as well um as there's quite a lot of back and forth between Brian and, and Lennon McCartney as far as like kind of the arms race for best albums, best songs, best productions, top singles. So, um, but you know, uh, they were holding their own. This, this record had some real great tunes on it. Um, let's go ahead and get into the track by track here Boom. of Shutdown Volume 2. So track number one, just starting right off with a banger. Fun, fun, fun. This was released as a single backed with Why Do Fools Fall in Love on February 3rd, 1964. It reached number five on the Hot 100. And um, this is one of those tracks that featured, you know, Hal Blaine playing drums, Steve Douglas on saxophone, um, Ray Pullman on bass. Like, he's starting to use these Spectre guys, and the sound of this track is awesome. Um, It's got kind of a Chuck Berry riff at the beginning, and... You know, it's a classic Beach Boys song. I mean, what else is there to say? It's a, it's a song based on the life of Dennis Wilson, so I'm told. And the and Mike and Brian wrote it in Salt Lake City on tour. One of my favorite uh, outros of any Beach Boys song of this era. It's just got a lot of power to it. I wish it didn't fade out so fast. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a great tune. I, I definitely give it a 7 out of 10. Kind of jumping off of what you just said how you wish it went a little longer at the end this is one of my favorite early up rocker beach boy tunes and i mean the version on the album is amazing it's great so i'm going to get my rating out there it's an eight out of ten for me because i think it's one of their best upbeat singles yeah it's a it's a rocker we play this in our band and uh our our music leader of the band mike um this is one of his all-time favorite songs. So every time we play it, he tells the audience a lengthy story about um, about <laughs> yeah. just how amazing this song is. And, you know, I'm super partial to the original is obviously my favorite version, but I also love the 1973 live version where they really do rock out that outro like you were talking about. So, I mean, fun, fun, fun. I think this is kind of what the beach boys end any any concert they do to this day still with this song i think when they wrote it you know they had the chuck berry riff at the top based on johnny be good and it kind of encapsulates their entire early fun in the sun car all of it together sound i mean i I really think that up to this point anyway this was kind of the definitive beach boy song outside of surfing usa so i think those two you got that's their definitive surf and this is their definitive car girl fun 
sun, cruising, whatever tune. It's it's also kind of a, I'll just jump in here. It's also kind of a, a girl power song. A little bit. Know? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's definitely, yeah. And that that's what's really cool and kind of forward thinking because I think, you know, and you kind of see this come through, especially more so on like today and later stuff, you know, you know, Brian and Mike both have such a high regard for their female counterparts. So, I mean, this is this is definitely a really early instance of that. And uh, one other thing I did want to add, I've heard so many times that Glenn Campbell played on this too, but I don't see that anywhere in any of the notes I've looked up. So I want somebody <clears throat> to throw it's that possible, out there It's possible, yeah. Me. I didn't see it in the credits, but yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, I've I've heard many times that he's like doubling that lead with um mm. with with Carl at the top because you listen to the top unless Carl went and played it twice, which he may have done. He may have just doubled it up, but I don't know. I need somebody to write some corrections and retractions to me about that. Um, that'd be great. Um, anyway, fun, fun, fun for me. Eight out of ten. It's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, man, it's one of those classic songs. It's one of the songs that I just grew up kind of knowing since I can remember. And um, yeah, it really does encapsulate the whole early vibe with kind of fun in the sun and and racing cars and chasing girls and all that stuff. So great, great, great tune. Um, Fun to play live. Um, Fun to see um, the Beach Boys or Brian Wilson do it. Um, It's just never going to get old. Speaking of that, number two, man, they're hitting you right off the bat with these killer tracks. Number two on side one is Don't Worry Baby, written by Brian Wilson and Roger Christian. And we talked a good bit about this on our Roger Christian episode, as well as our Phil Spector episode. Um, this is definitely a huge response to Be My Baby by the Ronettes, Brian's favorite song of all time. And this to me is a better song i mean i think this is one of the best songs he had written up to this point and it really does grab whatever phil was doing with be my baby but it takes it to the next level as well like with the key change and the awesome harmony arrangements the five-part vocals um just the fantastic playing and and the sound of this recording um especially the newer stereo mix um is just so fantastic and gives me chills almost every time I listen to it. Love hearing this song, love performing this song. Um, man, <clears throat> it's one of my favorite early songs for sure. Um, and it was released um, later as a B-side of I Get Around, and it reached number 24 on its own right on the Hot 100. Really awesome. Um, one of their biggest ballads for sure. And I give it an 8 out of 10. Well, I think for me... This song is definitely one of my all-time favorites. I think, and nowadays, especially when you hear a Beach Boys tune in a movie, or you hear it on TV and various forms, this is one of the ones that gets picked a lot. And it wasn't really a single, like you were saying, it was a B-side. 
uh, it was a B-side to what I think arguably is one of the top three A, B, con- you know, combinations ever for me. And it's maybe my, oh, yeah. it's maybe my favorite single, A and B, if we're yeah. just talking purely A and B. Um, but, you know, for me, it's like a 9.5 out of 10. It's, oh, al- wow. it's almost a 10. because Whoa. Because... I mean, you put it up there with all the other stuff that he, that Brian comes up with coming down the road. I mean, it, it's simpler, maybe, than some of his more complex stuff, but not really if you look at all the different things. And I know he kind of wrote it as a response to Be My Baby, but mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, so I think Don't Worry Baby is a Beach Boys song that people who may not know much about the Beach Boys or may not even really think to put the Beach Boys on when they hear it they immediately connect with it. I think it's one of his most universal tunes. So, because I think even if they don't really pay attention to what the lyrics are about truly, and they're just singing that chorus, you could kind of put that chorus into so many factions of life, whether it be you're stressed out about something or you're trying to console your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend and your spouse or whatever, or you're singing to your little baby. I mean, think about that. I think that that song, um, don't worry baby such an amazing tune and we're and i'm just talking about the general surface of it i mean the composition's incredible i mean the chorus is in a different key than the verses and uh i mean that alone that perks anyone's ears up and i think that's one reason why it connects so well and i think brian was a master of that he knew that the human ear was looking for surprises like that you know breaking the cycle um i think it's funny that some people don't you know, pay attention to that stuff anymore. You know, it kind of is kind of a lost art in a way. But I mean, truly, I think what makes that song stand out so much is the daring full step change up to the chorus. And it's so seamless. It's not abrupt. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's up there for me. It's one of my all time favorites and it's almost a 10. It's a, we'll just, we'll square it down to nine, but it's nine out of 10. Yeah. It's also um, a great lyric by Roger Christian, you know, it has some of those melancholy vibes to it that Brian's so well known for. Um, yeah, again, love it. Um, I I, I want to give it a nine, but I think I want to stick with an eight just because I'm trying to save room, man. You know how, you know, like when you're eating a really good meal and you don't want to eat too much of it because you're trying to save room for dessert. I'm trying to save that room at the top for the, for the upper echelon of tracks. And there's only a few of them that are going to get a nine or a 10, but they're there. And they're waiting. <laughs> I've I've got a, I've got I've got a bunch of nines and tens, but not a bunch. You probably got a bunch of zeros too. Oh, you just wait. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up next, we have a another Wilson Christian track called "In the Parking Lot." Yeah. So we talked about this a bit as well on our Roger Christian episode. Love it. So check that out. But um, I'll just say I really dig this song. I really dig that sort of modular, you know, arrangement that they have going on here. Um, kind of the doo-wop intro and then kind of the upbeat, you know, uh, Mike Love verse. And then really cool mid, you know, or C section, I guess, if you could if you could call it something. Kind of a pre-chorus. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's fine. It's not one of their best songs on the record, but it's a uh, it's a decent song. It's fun. I don't skip it. I give it a five out of ten. I go a bit higher because I just love the 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 slow section, the kind of the 
the post-chorus little thing, that little linking section, if you will. I love that so much. So for me, I mean, this is a 6 out of 10. And I mean, and I'll even give that section just a huge thumbs up. I love it. Um, I love the goofiness. It's kind of got some goofiness to the track, and I kind of like that about it. And it's it's definitely one of Mike Love's, you know, more uh, as we get into in the next track. Um one of the more um, kind of nasally sections, but I mean, <laughs> I love it. It's killer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a six out of ten and a huge thumbs up from Jason. That's right. <laughs> you just add on stuff to the rating. I'm going to start doing that. I mean, I, I, um, I had to. I love that. I love that. I know. I love so that, much. too. That's great. You have to You have to add on. You have to clarify um, the entire rating. Um, so next up, we've got an interesting track. It's a spoken word piece, if you will. A bit of a, a, poem. A bit of a clown off. Um, Cassius Love versus Sonny Wilson. This is, of course, um, a play on uh, the recent heavyweight championship boxing match between Cassius Clay, a.k.a. Muhammad Ali, some of you youngsters, and uh, Sonny Liston. So, you know, it's a playful little thing. I think, you know, obviously it's some filler here. They wanted to uh, have some... I guess, you know, at the time, there were a lot of bands doing this sort of thing where you had, like, a little playful comedy track on the record. And... Um, it's funny. I I have fun with it. You know, it's it's a track that um, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed. For fans only. Um, it's for fans only, sure. Um, but I mean, it's hard to even rank it. It's not a song. You know, like I don't know. I'd give it like a two out of ten. Who knows? I was I gonna know. give it a two as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. I don't even know if it needs to be ranked. I'm ranking. But I mean, there you go. You know, when I first heard these when I was younger, I thought they were like. <clears throat> just super dorksville but also pretty awesome i mean you know whatever it's it's goofy time i mean it's cool that you get to hear mike sing falsetto yeah that is true i like that part But you know another thing that I actually kind of thought about a long time ago when I was listening to one of these records for the hmm. millionth time? Brian really loved humor. He loved humor records. Like if you fast forward to when he's recording Pet Sounds, he's telling everybody to check out that comedy album, How to Speak Hip. And then, mm-hmm. and then you look at the smile stuff where he's like wanting to incorporate comedy into that album. You know, yeah. what he thinks mm-hmm. is comedy. Like, they do, like, some weird stuff with Hal Blaine about vegetables that never came yeah. out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're right. And so, I mean, truly, as I mentioned maybe on one of our first episodes, that Brian has, and maybe this is the way he goes, com- compartmentalizes his brain. For musically speaking, he has different modes of songs, and he kind of uses this his whole career. And this just may be an extension of part of his comedy mode. I mean, you know, he probably, him or his dad or somebody probably thought, oh, well, let's put this goofy track on here. The fans will really love it. And plus, you know, teenage girls at the time love to connect with their 
you know, with their favorite guys on the records, just like people like to connect with their favorite movie star on Instagram now. So, you know, I get it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I enjoy it. It's fun, but it's it's hard to really rank. But um, I do think it's funny, and I'm sure kids back then got a big kick out of it. Um, I would have been crazy about it if I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old when this record came out and probably would have loved it. It's the longest track on the record. Yeah. A track that I wanted to highlight and focus on for a minute is track five on side one of Shutdown Volume 2, and that's The Warmth of the Sun. This song was written the night that JFK was assassinated. On that day, Brian invited Mike over to his office and they sat down to write this song and it came out very quickly, according to both of them. I've got some great quotes here. Brian says, When the shooting happened, everyone knew instantly. It was all over the TV and every kind of news. I called Mike and he asked me if I wanted to write a song about it. I said, sure, it seemed like something we had to think about, and songs were the way I thought about things. We drove over to my office, and in half an hour we had the warmth of the sun. We didn't think of it as a big song, it was a personal response, but it got bigger over time because of the history linked to it. And Mike says, yes, things have changed and love is no longer there, but the memory of it lingers like the warmth of the sun. I think it's really impactful and memorable, and one of my favorite songs from an emotional and personal point of view. Man, and I just love that story. I love everything about this track. Um, where do I start? I mean, the vocals are absolutely beautiful. The arrangements are great. The really cool chords in the verse, sort of the little modulation from C to E flat, really creepy and sweet at the same time, which is something Brian's, you know, going to really get into from here on out for sure. But, um, just a beautifully written song great key changes and the vocals are just so rich and warm and you really really feel the emotion in this song and it's hard for me to listen to five seconds of this song and not start crying i mean i i performed this song at my grandfather's funeral and it's a song that's also very personal to me just over the years every time you know i've i've had times of loss or i've struggled with depression then this song is one that i can put on and it always kind of puts a smile on my face and gives me perspective so yeah it's one of my very favorite 
songs one very one of my very favorite beach boys songs and it's one of those songs that i mentioned that i was talking about when i said there will be room for these songs and it's a nine out of ten for me it's a really great emotional great track i mean you mentioned the really daring chords and it changes keys a bunch of times which is really awesome and um you know it's kind of the epitome up to this point of the brian melancholy i mean it it nails it and i think for me it is also a nine out of ten it's really strong um one thing i did want to say is you know there's a little bit of a conspiracy controversy if you will about when they wrote this song um because mike says they did it wrote it before the day like in the morning before the assassination happened and then brian says that they did it in response to so i don't know yeah maybe maybe it was the way mike remembers it or maybe they started the song and then finished it afterwards and it kind of propelled the the mood and, and lyric of the song into a more melancholy direction who knows there's some discrepancies there you know mike and brian have a lot of those brian also thought that they wrote fun 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 in australia and they had never been to australia when this record came out so (laughs) he he's been known to be wrong about this stuff yeah it went to Um, australia pretty close after but yes directly after but yeah great song man what a great tune probably the best song up to this point yeah definitely in my opinion the best song that that the beach boys released up to this point so moving on track number six a track that um one of our band members matt is a big fan of for sure (laughs) this car of mine oh yeah little dennis lead vocal great lead by Dennis um, kind of you know has like kind of a little throwback Dion feel to it yep, for sure yep, yep, yep. Um, that little shuffle beat yep um, and yeah really cool you know simple song but I really dig it uh, it's got great playing on it and uh, I give it a 6 out of 10 I'll go 5 out of 10 and I think my 5 is right on the money I think it could be a little bit longer maybe but yeah it's very short yeah they didn't i think it ends where they could have like i don't know they do like a weird strange um doo-wop vocal chant which yeah kind of just comes out of nowhere but um anyway yeah this car by digging At this point, we're not going to see a whole lot more from uh, Gary Usher or Roger Christian. This is kind of the beginning of a huge stretch where it's just Wilson and Love kind of writing all the songs. Um, but yeah, so up next, side two, we have a cover of Why Do Fools Fall in Love? And uh, just a great vocal from Brian here. Um, 
originally put out in 1956 uh, by Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers. Huge smash. Yeah, big hit, and um, you know, I think all the boys were big fans of this song. And uh, this was the B-side of Fun, Fun, Fun. And uh, I think it's a great cover. Um, I don't, you know, personally, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'd say it's a better version than the original. I like the Beach Boys version just because it's the Beach Boys, but um, they don't really do anything that exciting to make it their own. Yeah. Um, so I give it a five out of ten. On this tune, Brian definitely tries to fill Spectre up a little bit. The uh, original version, you know, you can definitely hear all the Phil style stuff. You get the horns and the um, those castanets and a bunch of other stuff, kind of really rollicking along on this tune. But for me, I'm a, I'm going to give this version actually a six out of ten, and I'm giving it a six out of ten a because the vocal arrangement's so strong. Brian's vocals killer. That middle section, the little thing that he added to the song that's not in the original. Um, his, you know, four freshman style vocal thing in the middle is unbelievable. But the thing that kind of pushes it over the five for me is that intro that they unearthed when they got the original tapes, the multi-tracks from this album sessions. One of our favorite authors, John Stebbins, helped recover those tapes, actually. And, um, you know, they discovered that Spectre-esque intro. And it, had those tapes not been discovered, we would never have heard that. And we would have never had that really awesome compilation that came out uh, around a few years ago, I guess, the Keep an Eye on Summer compilation, which if you haven't heard that, I know you guys who are big CD files and won't do the digital, you, you know, you, I don't think you can get that on CD, but it's on the digital, so you need to go seek that out. It's really great eye-opener into this era we're talking about. <laughs> Long story short, love that intro that is on the newer mix, and uh, I love the Spectre interplay and the vocals going on here, so I, I give it a little up the notch there on that one. Oh, yeah. And I, dug, I, I really dig that intro, too. I wish they had kept that on the album version, but maybe, I don't know, maybe they just thought it was too long. Moving on, we have track two on side two, Pom Pom Playgirl, written by Brian Wilson and Gary Usher. Awesome. So this is a great example of um, Carl Wilson on lead vocals. Um, really, the first the first solo lead that he ever did. Mm-hmm. Really, really great. Um, he's definitely uh, starting to sound like himself, but you can definitely tell that he's very young here. And. Um, I really dig this song. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in the chords, how it starts off on that that nine chord um, on the tonic for you music nerds. So it's like a one, nine, and then moves to a four, and then it's back to the nine chord, and then goes to a five chord, and it's just a really cool kind of harmonic resolve there. Um, and it's also really kind of dissonant every time it goes back to that nine chord. 
um, it kind of pulls you toward that four. Um, and it's really, really fun because, you know, the Carl lead and especially on the, the session outtakes where you can hear him kind of fooling around at the end and um, playing around with the lyrics and stuff. It's, it's super fun. Um, if you have the Unsurpassed Masters, you can check that out. does have a little bit of a uh you know uh, surf scramble at the top it does have a surf scramble a surf intro scramble surf at the intro top. scramble that's right yeah that's true um but uh yeah you know kind of just a silly you know it's definitely a gary usher lyric um just silly and you know they're just they're just looking for more silly you know, teenage stuff to sing about. So pom pom playgirl. There you go. So what's your ranking? But I give it a six out of ten. Again, just bumping it up because of that Carl. I give it six out of ten and two pom poms. Boom. I love it. Yeah. All right. So, so I'm going five out of ten. <laughs> um you know, a thing that I think is there's two things about this track that have always stuck out to me. And it's just how I listen to songs sometimes. But the goofy timpani that is going on or hitting a bass drum or whatever that is just happening. Yeah. And I guess that simulates the marching band and the pom-pom, I guess. It's just so strange because it's almost like, to me, it's almost like a game show music or something because it just goes dong. And that's so, it's just so strange. Yeah, I wonder what the idea was behind that. It's I mean, it's probably just to try to create that, you know, high school uh, sporting event feel. I get that, but yeah. I, I don't know if they necessarily achieved it as much as it's just odd. And another thing about it that, again, this is just my nerd ear perking up on this tune is the bass guitar tone on this is really awesome. Um, I heard it. Yeah. I heard a new, new newer mix of it um, again on that really cool compilation that came out a couple of years ago. And man, it's such a great. Um, kind of dead, drier, a little bit drier bass tone, not as kind of round and woofy as some of their other stuff from this era. So, you know, you could definitely hear, you know, Brian playing some uh, flat wound bass strings on his P bass or whatever. It sounds awesome. So big fan of that. Yeah. So five out of 10 for me, cool, goofy, strange tune. Moving on, we got track three on side two, Keep an Eye on Summer. Hey. So this one um, is, in my opinion, another great ballad of the time written by Brian Wilson and Bob Norberg. So Bob Norberg definitely wrote some of those ballads with Brian that are very recognizable, always in that um, 6-8 time. And this one especially is really cool some more adventurous chord changes here from brian
really, really love the song itself. And um, to me, it was really first introduced to me almost when it was redone by Brian Wilson on his uh, Imagination album. So he did this, did a version of this song on that album, and I had obviously heard it before, but never really, you know, paid a whole lot of attention and, and listened to the details of it. And being a teenager, just getting into writing music myself and learning about composition, it really struck me as a really cool, um, you know, take on a traditional ballad feel, but with some adventurous chords here and there. And um, that made me come back to the original, and I really, really, really lis- listened to it and loved it. So, um, yeah, I really dig it. It's a 7 out of 10 for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to agree with you on the rating. I think it's a 7 out of 10. I think at the time, some critics or whatever of the of his writing kind of said he was just kind of recycling himself on this one and didn't regard it that high. And that always kind of, to use a old-fashioned phrase, that really... Uh, cheesed me off a little bit. I got a little, yeah. little bummed because I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I listened to the kind of really adventurous chord progressions and the, and the really interesting vocals and especially the outro, which I'll, again, another four freshman type thing that I love. Um, yep. You know, it's definitely kind of a little bit of surfer moon part two or, in in future stuff we'll talk about girls on the beach which kind of, which kind of falls into this this is feel definitely too. i was going to say it's like a precursor to girls on the beach yeah. for sure yes yeah, so, i mean you know all that stuff kind of coming together but again and i brought it up earlier in this episode and i keep hammering on it it's just one of brian's modes and and you know yep. your classical composers had their modes and their styles and this is one of his you know he's that kind of a writer he's that level he's not just a dude right and tunes he's the composer and this is a one of his compositional styles you know it's got a definite um innocent vibe to it and every time i hear it 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 takes me back to when i was younger i mean i can't escape the images and things in my mind that come up every time i hear this song so it's not one of my all-time favorite beach boy songs but it does mean a lot to me it's a great song sure so we're in agreement there Next up, we have the uh, first of a couple instrumentals on this record. Oh, yeah. And um, one of the first songs ever credited to Carl Wilson. So this is Shut Down Part 2. So kind of a... um, I don't know why it needs to be called Shut Down Part 2, but it's just a sort of a blues surf rock instrumental um, with some cool guitar playing by Carl. And it's got a really cool, fun riff, and it's one of their better instrumental songs of the era, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, the the recording and the, the sonic quality of it is really great. Love the way the guitars sound on it. And uh, I would give it a four out of ten, just because it doesn't really go anywhere or break new ground, and it's you know mostly forgettable. But um, the playing is good and it sounds great i'm gonna go five out of ten um i really actually like this a lot i love the like leslie guitar that shows up in the middle of this which is yep you know that right there love that sound um but i can just harken back to when i'm a teenager 
and I hear the mighty Mike Love saxophone just honking away on the front of this, and uh, I was hooked. I mean, I, th- I thought it when you first hear it. I can remember the first time I heard it, and when you first hear it, it's like, well, what's about to happen? This is getting weird, and then it goes into the cool surf instrumental, and the guitar playing on this is hot. I'm really, really into yeah. Carl's just. You know, the patterns he's playing are really cool. And then the end, he goes full Chuck Berry, like kind of Chuck Berry's um, uh, Spanish Latin feel licks on the end. Or just, I'm a big fan. So I really like Shutdown Part 2. Five out of ten. Coming up next, track five on side two is another cover. This is the classic tune written by Richard Berry. And uh, it is Louie Louie. So, yeah, so it was originally a hit in 1963 by the Kingsmen. And for me, it's one of the worst songs on the record for sure. I don't really enjoy this at all. I, I'm not a fan of Louie Louie to begin with. And uh, I don't know. It's just goofy. I give it a 2 out of 10. Boom. So, I am a Louie Louie aficionado. Um, yes. I'm a big fan of Louie Louie. <laughs> I mean, the Kingsman version is like the ultimate trash rock and roll song, really, if you think about it. I'm not saying it's the ultimate rock and roll song. I'm saying it's the ultimate terrible rock and roll song. Um, you know, like... Wooly Bully and all the things that follow it after. Louie Louie is kind of the, one of the original garage rock anthems, and that's a genre that I have a high, high affection for. So, you know, when I was a little kid trying to play guitar, I really wanted to learn how to play that stuff. So, um, I really dig the Beach Boys version. I love the goofy intro, Mike Love. Um, which our bandmate Matt brought up definitely influenced the repeated intro on keeping the summer alive much later. So you got that it's got that going for it. Um, and I like the key change. The key change is key change is cool. And you know, I've played this song a bunch of times, whether it was in my you know, my living room when I was a kid. I even got to play it with one of the originators of the hit who who did one of the first versions ever recorded, Mark Lindsay with Paul Revere and the Raiders, get to play it with him. And, you know, I've played it at countless gigs to kill time. So I have a soft spot in my heart for Louie Louie. And I love that the Beach Boys did it in their strange and goofy way. So it's a three out of 10 for me. That's fair. And, you know, you also do have another cool Carl lead vocal here, too. Absolutely. So that's always fun to hear at this point. Um, so. Maybe I'm being too harsh on it, but I'm just, I, I just don't want them to do any covers anymore unless it's like they're going to reinvent oh, but something. There's some or, good ones coming up. Yeah, there's some, there's some pretty good ones, but you know, these I don't really like. So, um, moving on, we've got the last track and, um, just another silly filler song called Denny's Drums. Garbage. Credited to Dennis Wilson as writer, but you know, I mean, it's, Again, like they had to fill some space. They figured, you know, Dennis is finally like learning how to play drums now, so we can let him just play some surf beats and little like wipeout type solo type things on the toms. And 
throw that on the end of the record, fill some time, you know. Um, but it's whatever. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm skipping the last two tracks. So Denny's drums. I'm gonna give it a two out of ten just for the historical, you know, importance of it. Like I think it's cool to hear Dennis playing drums. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm stretching here. I just. I'm, I'm skipping these last two tracks so two out of ten for both of these and they better get out before i change my mind well i'm gonna go three out of ten on this one too because i'm certain that dennis you know hanging out on those drums for a couple minutes certainly inspired somebody to pick up some drumsticks and and get into it and and a good buddy of mine uh, another drumming dennis uh dennis dyken played with a bunch of great groups ronnie specter smithereens he was sending me some messages the other day just talking about how profound dennis's early drumming was influential on him and and a bunch of his drumming friends and he, he was telling me some of the earlier episodes we had uh, he was i was talking about whether it was hal or, or dennis and he kind of was telling me because he's you know talked to hal and and you know a historian of dennis wilson's drumming and telling me what was dennis and what wasn't according to what he knew so i was pretty pumped on that but Denny's drums reminds me how influential Dennis Wilson was as a drummer early on. If you think about as you know, Ringo was big to so many kids, but Dennis was too. I mean, there was drum ads with him in, you know, magazines and trade magazines of the time with him advertising Camco drums, which was Dennis, Dennis endorsed those. So, um, yeah, Denny's drums, three out of 10. Got to give Dennis's drumming a spotlight early on, and this is one of them. So I'm into it. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, I'm sure we'll have some people that will write in and be like, I can't believe you gave Denny's drums a 2 out of 10. That's the best surf drum instrumental song of all time. I know. I, got, I, get, some, so. I get some heat for my lack of love for Boogie Woody. Oh, yeah, you did. And even... Your, our boy Jez, man. He was not... He was like, where's Jason? I got to have a word with him about Boogie Woody. Well, yeah, my buddy Dennis did the same thing. He's like, oh, I've been listening to the podcast. You can't, you can't hate on that one. I'm like, I mean, come on, guys. Hey, we are all inclusive here. Yeah. I think... As far as as far as Beach Boys fans go on like the spectrum of like you know very overly critical to like loving everything in the catalog we're much closer to loving everything than most people are. So I think there's a few songs that are clunkers and that's just our opinion and you know there's a lot of people that really dig the songs that we don't like and that's what's great about this fandom and there's going to be some records you know, later on that some people just won't even touch with a 10 foot pole and we're going to get into them like you have no idea. So just be ready for that. Um, be ready to not listen to those episodes because <laughs> it's going to make you mad how much we love some of that stuff. I know. I'm gonna give it's, some songs, I'm give some songs way higher rating than Boogie Woody. Trust me. Oh yeah. You just, you just wait. All I got to say is match point, match yeah. point can't wait yeah I, i'm i'm excited for um some of these records that we got coming up because they're kind of the more classic beach boys records i think you know everyone can kind of agree on these next like four or five records as being great records so um that's gonna be fun and we're gonna be getting into some nines and some tens here soon as far as our rankings 
So what will be the first 10? What's your first 10 in the Beach Boys catalog? Write us or call us. Our email is sailonpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also reach us by phone. Leave us a voicemail. It's 615-606-3887. And you can check us out on the web at sailonsounds.com, which is where you'll find our tribute band and you can see all the upcoming dates that we have. So if you want to come see us, give us a shout. Tell us that you're coming. Let's plan to hang out, have a have a adult beverage or a soda with Jason. And <laughs> we can talk about whatever you want to talk about, time allowing. Um, so that's about it for this week. We really had fun, you know, talking about Shutdown Volume 2. I'm stoked about some of the upcoming albums like i said i'm also stoked about our next episode which is going to be about the wrecking crew whoa <laughs> can't wait for that so um i don't know when that's going to be probably a couple weeks so we are going to be playing some gigs so we're going to have a hard time getting into the studio to record this podcast but thanks for being patient with us we're going to try and stay on a somewhat regular schedule here um and you know keep the emails and voicemails coming and we'll see out there on the road anything in closing you want to say jason you know i've always been a big fan of this record i love the i love the album cover too we didn't really talk about the two sweet cars oh man i forgot to mention that it's my favorite album cover pre uh all summer long this is my favorite album cover pre all summer long all summer long is my favorite album cover of maybe all the 60s albums but Shutdown Volume 2 album cover is so awesome. They look so bad A, if you know what I mean, on this album cover. They have the the car jackets on and the khakis and like the button-up shirts yeah, and they totally. all have those man, they have they have just that killer look like they're ready to take on anybody. Ready to take man, on the it's Beatles. Awesome. Ready to take on the Beatles and Brian Dude, has yeah. Brian has his there's Beatles that, haircut. That's that's Dennis's uh Corvette Stingray. Yeah. And then also the Grand Prix um that's Carl's car. So it's awesome. They're actually their cars and it's just awesome, man. I would love to be like out in, you know, like Hollywood and pull up and you got the beach boys hanging out with their cars like in these jackets like how cool would that be i know they probably never actually did that but i i'm gonna imagine that they did yeah i mean like i was saying brian's got his beatles haircut on the cover so oh, it's yeah. kind of interesting that you know this is what recorded right around the same time i wonder when that photo was taken that's what i want to know um so if anybody knows that again write us in let us know um this is also the first album to have Al Jardine on the cover. Yep, that is true. Very true. I, uh, I I forgot to bring that up earlier when we were talking about him. <clears throat> but uh, first album without David at all. Yeah. So we are completely into the you know Al Jardine era now. I think it was one of these shows um, in November of '63 that Brian introduced Al as their new member, which is funny. Yes, yeah, interesting. Yeah, since he was around technically for surfing, so yes, he was interesting. Anyhow, uh, shut down volume two. Well, we didn't rank the album overall. You know, oh, we didn't. You're right, man. We're just falling apart here at the end. Well, I was in such a hurry to to 
to get to Will C. All right, so um, man, the <laughs> album on, is Will. pretty lo- the <laughs> the album is pretty lopsided um, yeah. to me. Um, when I think back on it and not listening to the album as a whole, and I think back on it, the tracks stick out to me, like the the standout tracks, obviously. Um, fun, fun, fun. Uh, the warmth of the sun. Don't so worry, good. baby. Those tracks just stick out to me, and that's all I really think about. But as a whole, the album is is kind of uneven, and um, I'd have to give it a six out of ten as a whole. Exactly my rating, six out yeah. of ten. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. It's you know, it's a lot like a lot of other great albums out there in terms of being really front loaded and this one definitely is so um yeah i really love this record six out of ten it is not a great album it's almost like a really great ep with some comedy um which i think it was released kind of as an ep um in for jukeboxes or something like that but anyway um yeah yeah they released like a seven inch mini lp is what they called it yeah um with the same cover and it was um like keep an eye on summer fun 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 warmth of the sun and then on the other side it was why do fools fall in love in the parking lot don't worry baby and they kind of did that on little deuce coop too i've seen pictures of that flying around so but yeah shut down volume two six out of ten love it anyway thanks guys um hopefully we'll talk to you real soon um go listen to some beach boys Sail on, sailors. Crank up the will see, my friend.